The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Two ways to feel like you move from just being part of the congregation here to feel like you're part of the family, part of the community here. Uh, we're talking about one of those in a, about a month or so called join a group. We have different small groups to meet in different homes all over the community here. The other one is to join a team, one of our teams that helps get things set up and to, to make all this happen here. And some teams right now, if you're already serving at one of our teams on the weekends, uh, you can just be cool right now. But if those of you aren't serving, I'm not going to make you identify yourself, but we know who you are. Um, <laughs> Uh, we, we need all kinds of areas. Kids, men always needs help everywhere. Saturday, Sunday, for various ways. Check kids in to be back in the class. Small group teachers, big group teachers, all that and more. Uh, our host teams, the people that help you feel welcome here. They programs at the door, name tags out in the plaza, saying hi to you, getting coffee and communion, all those kinds of things. Ready? We need help there. On the back of your connection card, it tells you all these different things that are there. And you, while I'm talking about this, you might be going, "Hey, I should probably do one of those things, or at least maybe check it out and see." Uh, but two big areas that we're really focusing on this week is in our, in our tech area. Those guys back in the booth back there, and then behind the shadow glass back there is where uh, we broadcast and live stream the service from and film everything and mix the sound and all that. Uh, if, you have, if you love tech kind of stuff, we need help with sound and computers and media and lighting, uh, camera operating. And guys, we have bought all this equipment and done it all to say it needs to be something that even Steve could learn how to use. It's, it's easily trainable, easily to pass this on. So if you're like, oh, well, I don't know what I'm doing. If you love tech kind of stuff, jump into one of those teams. We'd love to have you do that. Put that on your connection card. And then now we need some electric guitar players. We need some male vocalists. We love female vocalists too. We need some male vocalists to join the team. We need some keyboardists and we need some drummers. So if you have any experience with that or any interest in that, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. You can put that on your connection card. We'd love to get involved, get you on one of those teams. There's a, a note sheet on your program somewhere in there. Uh, the, the lead item here is the advance warning. What Mark just read for us is that Paul now is making his way back east from Asia and Greece and all that, getting back over to Jerusalem. He stops off a little place there and they tell him, advance warning, hey, this is not going to go well for you. It's going to be very unpleasant and very uncomfortable if you keep going that way. Anybody, anybody ever been warned about that in your life? If you keep going that way, it's going to go bad for you. And usually what that means is you don't go that way. That's a warning to go, don't go that way. And oftentimes, that's what we're supposed to do. Like, hey, that's not going to go well for you. Don't do that. Sometimes, though... God is going to call us into situations where it won't get more pleasant or more comforting. It might get more unpleasant and more uncomfortable. Jesus himself, uh, several months before he was going to go back to Jerusalem, he gathered his disciples, his 12 best friends around him and said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be, tra- be betrayed. And we railroaded through the justice system. They're going to crucify me on a cross. And they'll go, well, then let's not go. And he goes, oh, no, you guys, what he says here in Matthew and Mark, the verses that are on your note sheet, he says, you are seeing things from a human point of view. And a human point of view says this, back in that culture, and especially in our culture today, is power and pleasure are supreme. Anything that makes me uncomfortable, anybody that makes me feel unpleasant, I don't want any part of that. He goes, sometimes he's going to call us into those kind of situations. And Paul says, 
man, God's called me to do this, even though it's going to be bad. And so he, he like, you haven't, I, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to do this. And so the big, the, the big thing you're wondering now, okay, so he's going to get to Jerusalem and it's going to get nasty, awful, terrible in there. So let's keep reading and see what actually happens to him when he shows up in Jerusalem. In uh, chapter 21, verses 15 to 17, it says he shows up there. And it goes pretty well. You're going, well, where's all the bad, terrible stuff going on? That's all right. Maybe it's not going to be so bad. Maybe somebody missed something when they said it's going to go bad and terrible for you. And then it says in verse 18, it says, the next day Paul went with us. This is Luke who's writing this in his entourage there. Paul's, uh, Luke's with him. Paul went with us to meet with James, Jesus' little brother, and all the elders, the leaders of the Jerusalem church, were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. After hearing this, they praised God. So we're going, well, this is awesome. Paul comes back and says, man, in city after city after city, everywhere we went, people became Christians. There are local churches established in cities all across uh, Galatia and Asia and Greece. And there's even rumblings like maybe some of these guys have got all the way to Rome right now. That's crazy. It's going everywhere. Thousands of people have become followers of Christ. And he's going, let's be excited about that. And they go, they all praise God saying, yeah, that's awesome. But have you ever had a conversation with somebody and it starts off going, if you've ever been married, you get this. Babe, I love you. You're so awesome. You're so amazing. So great. So great what you do for our family and all that. And then you know, where's the but? I was going to just tell, start with the but, sorry. Start with, start there with me, because they have some concerns here. So they're excited about the fact that Paul's, that all people are becoming Christians, but you'll see the next section here of the note sheet. It's perplexing problems, and we're going to call it stupid solutions. They praise God, verse 20, and then they said, you know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed And they all follow the law of Moses very seriously. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you are teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the laws of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow other Jewish customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 15. There was a big controversy in the way of Jesus just getting started. And the controversy was this. Because Christianity, the way of Jesus starts off, and everybody who's a Christian at the beginning is Jewish. You know why they're Jewish? Because it started in Israel, and Jesus was a Jew. So everybody's Jewish. All of a sudden, though, now Gentiles are becoming Christians. The big controversy is, okay, do the Gentiles have to submit to all the Old Testament Torah rules and regulations that all of us Jewish people did? Or was that just for us big controversy? And he said, no, Gentiles, faith in Christ alone is what saves them. They don't have to do all the things that we willingly do as Jewish people. So they had settled that. But now all of a sudden, word gets out and goes, see, they went too far with this. This is the Taliban legalists like me from time to time. So you did that. And now Paul's telling the, Gen- the, the Jewish people who live among the Gentiles that they don't have to follow the laws of circumcision and the laws and the rules and the regulations of the Torah. And that's a scandalous thing for a Jewish person uh, to do and say. Now, Paul wasn't singing that, but you know, it always is bad when somebody says, I heard you said. 
Did you actually hear them say it? <laughs> Crazy. Oh, I saw a report on the internet that said something you said about that. And then, yeah, the, whatever about that. So they, they say, look at this. I love this too. Paul's there going, okay, but thousands of Gentiles are Christians now. Let's just, can we just be happy about that for 10 minutes? No, all these problems out here. Here's the problem. What should we do? And if you've ever been part of a discussion where somebody brings a problem to you and asks, okay, what, what should we do? What should we do? And they already have the answer for you. They don't even give you a chance to talk. Yeah, all the time this happens. Some of you are elbowing that person sitting next to you right now. So look at the end of verse 22. What should we do? They'll certainly hear you've come. Here's what we want you to do. Paul didn't get a chance to explain, to say, no, I haven't said that, any of that. Here's what we want you to do. We have four men here who have completed their vow. Go with them to the temple and join them in the purification ceremony, paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved. Then everyone will know that the rumors are all false and that you yourself observe the Jewish laws. So here's what's going on here. Uh, on your note sheet, you'll see it. Numbers chapter 6 talks about something called the Nazarite vows. That's different than Jesus being a Nazarene. The Nazarite vow was a, a way that for Jewish people in their culture to say, I'm going to stay away from anything dead, dead animals, dead people, anything dead for a period of time. Uh, I'm not going to cut my hair. Shut up. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to cut my hair and stay away, anything, any, stay away from anything related to grapes or the vine. So raisins, wine, alcohol, anything like that. For a period of time to be more devoted to God. Maybe I'm seeking God for a big problem in my life. Or I just want to be more fervently devoted to Christ or to, or to, to God, to Jehovah. They would do that for a period of time. Like it says here, when the vow was over, they would go to the temple. And in the temple, there was a place where you bring a sacrifice, you bring some money. There was actually a barber shop, <laughs> literally in the temple, in the Jewish section of the temple. We'll look at that map here in a second. And you would go in there and you would get your, get your head shaved because you let your hair go, go, go real long and stuff like that. And, and back then, it was like you, you couldn't even trim it. I mean, you just let it... Do whatever it wanted to do. Uh, Samson, in the Old Testament, there's a story in the book of Judges. Samson, God called him to be a leader for Israel, and he was called to be a Nazarite for his whole life. Never cut his hair. Read the story sometime in Judges about all of that. Um, so that's what they want Paul to do. Go to the temple, because talk is cheap. You can explain yourself away all you want. But let's, let's demonstrate the fact that you follow all these rules and, and these rituals uh, and, and go offer this sacrifice there. Now, put yourself in the situation of Paul. You've been all over the world. You've been beat up, been left for dead twice, usually by people, by mobs of people who were instigated by by people that are Jewish people. This is not anti-Semitic, but because these are Jewish people committed to their faith and they didn't like Jesus at this point. They follow Paul around all over the place where he goes to get the crowds all roused up. Paul's been left for dead twice, stoned, whipped, imprisoned. And he said, look, thousands of people have become Christians. And you want me to go to the temple and get a haircut? This is the moment where you go, seriously, dude? Seriously. Come on, man. And I'm telling you, I would hear that if I put myself in this situation, what Paul has gone through, 
thousands of people become Christians, and their first thing is, we want you to go to the temple and do this ritual thing. I go, seriously, dude, I'm out of here. I'm done with you guys. I'm going to go exclusively to the Gentiles. I'm done with you. This is, title of the message today, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. That's what I would have thought, at least. I may not have done it, but I certainly would have thought it. And so I wonder, the big tension here is, well, what's Paul going to do? Is he going to storm out? Is he going to leave? Because if you've been paying attention in the book of Acts here, Paul is not one of those guys who's a, a soft, sensitive, peacemaker, Enneagram feeler. He's, he is like, man, I, life is short and hell's hot. Shut up and get out of my way. Man, he does not put up with fools easily at all. In the book of Galatians, when they're talking about the legalists there that want to enforce circumcision on everybody, he said, I wish those fools would go the whole way just emasculate themselves. Just cut the whole thing off. Like, that's in the Bible. He says that. This guy does not mess around with this stuff. But look what he does here. Look at verse 26. What's he going to do? So Paul went to the temple the next day with the other men. They had already started the purification ritual, so he publicly announced the date when their vows would end and sacrifices would be offered for each of them. The seven days were almost ended. You go, okay, maybe this is going to go okay. He's going to go do the vow thing, pay for the money, get their heads haircut, and they're going all going to go, the solution will work. It'll calm everybody down. Seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him. They grabbed him yelling, men of Israel, help us. This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. For earlier that day, they had seen him in the city with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they, what's that next word there? And you know what happens to you assume, right? Yep. And they assumed Paul had taken him into the temple. Now, Paul hadn't done that, but they assumed he had done that. The whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. As they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out at his soldiers and officers and ran down among the crowd. When the mob saw the commander and the group's co- troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him, protective custody, ordered him, bound with two chains. He asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. Someone shouted, someone shouted one thing and some another. Since he couldn't find out the truth in all the uproar, also called media and social media in America today, um, and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. Uh, keep in mind, we're going to look at what that fortress is in just a second. As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him, and the crowd followed behind shouting, kill him, kill him, kill him. And you're wondering, what happens next? You've got to come back next week. This is a to be continue. We're not going to cover the whole story here, but it's fascinating here. Paul goes, look, I'll go on this ridiculous thing. It'll calm everybody down. And that solution, this stupid solution, didn't work. Because not only did it not calm things down or even keep it neutral, it made it worse. When you're in a debate with somebody and they're trying to kill you, that, that's gone really bad. Really, really bad. Now, some of you are going, okay, what's this big deal about Trophimus the Gentile being in the temple? Take a look at this picture up here. of This is the, an outline of the temple, how it looked in the day in the first century. Um, you'll see there, there's the big, huge temple, 
And a big, huge temple, the, all the walls on the, on the, all, all around it, anybody could go in there. It's called the Gentiles Courtyard. Jewish people, Gentile people could all go in there. But see the square in the middle? Only Jewish people who are ritually pure, who've done the sacrifice and all that, only Jewish people go in there. You go, but come on, it's just a building. See, that's because our buildings today are like this, like a place you get your oil changed, right? From the outside. The building is just a building. But back then, that building was holy. The presence of God dwelt there at one point over the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant isn't there anymore, but it was a place where the holy presence of God was. And you did not mess around with this. It was very, very clear. In fact, they found this. Look at this picture here. Next one. It's coming. They found this uh, several years ago. It's an inscription of something from the first century. Now you're going, what does it even say? I, it's a Hebrew inscription. And they found this right around the temple area from around the first century time. And it basically says this. If you are a Gentile and find yourself dead in here, that's on you. You know what that was? It was the warning sign for that inner place in the temple. Like they did not mess around with this. And you, you go kill people in there. At church, if you're not richly pure and you're a Gentile person... If you find yourself dead in here, don't bring this to the Jewish authorities, to the Roman authorities. That's on you. That was the warning sign. The old men saying, get off my lawn. <laughs> but they were doing with that. And the mob gets so crazy. Take a, look, take a look at the map picture again of the temple, and we'll see this here. Uh, you'll see there, uh, over here, it talked about the, the soldiers that he had to rush down into it. The Antonia Fortress is here. That was named, built by Herod when he, put, when he built this big temple. The Antonia Fortress is named after Mark Antony. For those of you who paid attention to history, Mark Antony, a very famous person in Roman culture. And it was a place where the Roman soldiers were. And they put that there because Herod had learned and the authorities had learned that temple area is a hotbed for revolt. People could gather by, I mean, this area here by the tens of thousands you could gather. Because you know, until you go to Israel and see it sometime, you know how big this thing is? Tens of thousands of people could gather inside this. And so the, the soldiers were rushed down in there because Paul was there in the, if you look at where the, like the temple, that's where the, the Holy of Holy is and the, the table of showbread and all these very, only the priestly one there. But the courtyard around that is where only the Jews could go. And probably that bottom left or bottom right corner is inside the Jewish section where you would go to have the, your hair cut. If you'd done the Nazarite vow, you would go in there, do the sacrifice and all that. And they assume that Paul has brought a Gentile in there and they are rightfully outraged. When someone triggers you, you'll see that on your note sheet today, we left the blank blank on purpose. You're not going to fill this in. Fill this one in. You can fill it in with whatever word you want to put in there. When someone really you off, ticks you off, hacks you off, or other words you want that are not nice words, whatever they do, when they, when you get triggered, when you go from zero to 80 like that, the first thing you want to do is what Jesus' little brother tells us to do in the book of James. He says, brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And the dominant mantra of America today is the exact opposite of that. And now we have the tools to do it. We can be like speaking like 0.3 seconds and the whole world can know immediately how we feel about this or that or whatever else. Slow down. Especially when you're triggered. When you're angry, when you're frustrated, and you want to, when you get triggered or frustrated, because again, they made assumptions. Here's a question to write down. Uh, slow down, and then number, and the, the, the question there is, have I made assumptions, or have I checked my assumptions? 
This is the reason you slow down is because you may not, I'm going to blow your mind for a second here, you may not know everything yet. Anybody ever been in a fight with somebody you're married to, somebody you're dating, somebody in your family, and you went at them and then went, oh, shoot, if I'd have known that, i mm, sorry. Yeah, like this morning <laughs> before you got here. Yeah. So watch out on that. And now here's the deal, too. Like with Paul, he's doing this great thing here. He's defying all their rules, all their rituals, all their regulations, even doing something stupid and ridiculous. And you got to know that sometimes when you're dealing with people who think you're stupid or evil or a jerk or whatever, no matter what you do, you're not going to convince them. Sometimes you're just like, look, they were convinced Paul was evil and terrible, so sometimes you're like, they just hate Paul. Doesn't matter what he does, they're going to find some reason. I've experienced that in the last <laughs> two or three years here especially. A lot of you have experienced that in your families. Like, look, once people write you off, it doesn't matter what you do, they will always find a way to twist it and turn it uh, into the fact that you're stupid or evil. Um, and my question to Paul is, why would you even bother with these people? Because these are the people, these Jews from the province of Asia, were the ones that were following Paul around, trying to defend Judaism. Their hearts were probably sincere and good, but they were fervently against Jesus and the way of Jesus. And they're following Paul around from city to city, trying to get him persecuted, trying to put, uh, to, to put out this way of Jesus, this Christian thing. I'm going, Paul, haven't you learned about these people already? You know who they are, right? It's not going to matter what you do, this ridiculous thing. It's stupid and short-sighted. It's not going to work. And I Paul, go, why would you even do this? Flip one book to the right in your Bible. It's to the book of Romans. There's Acts right here. Find Romans. Romans chapter 10. I think these verses might also be up on the screen, but I'd like you guys to use your own Bibles too because get a pen or pencil out and there's some things you want to put arrows to and highlight and underline. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, Romans 10 verse 1, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. You know who Paul's writing this to? The book of Romans? Guess who he's writing it to? Not a trick question, right? Romans. You know what Romans Romans full of? Not Jews. It's full of Gentiles. He's running to Gentile people and say, look, my heart for these Jewish people that hate me, that want to kill me, that want to beat me, that have put me in prison, all that stuff, is for them to be saved. Now look at Romans 9, uh, one chapter back, what he says here. With Christ, is my, chapter, one, chapter 9, verse 1. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief on my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed Cut off from Christ if that would save him. Like, dude, I'll go to hell to say, if it would mean me going to hell would mean the people of Israel would come to God. Now, I'm not sure Paul was like actually saying that, like in the emotion of it all, just expressing how fervently he loves these people. And what Paul is telling us, what Paul did that day in being ridiculous is a challenge to us. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 says, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul's, if he could stand here in front of us today as the church here in the West, his admonition would be, let's be ridiculous. Let's be ridiculous about our faith. What that means is, number one, let's have ridiculous love. And, and ridiculous love is the kind of love, like, not just for people you like, and people vote the same way you do and have the same ethnicity or same economics and all that kind of stuff. No, no. People very, very, these Jewish people who hate him are trying to kill him. 
He wants them to be saved, to come to Christ. See, we need to recognize here that as a local church, we're not just here to do religious services and spiritual things here. We are part of God's kingdom. One of the little phrases I've used around here now for years is that we're a kingdom outpost. Deployed out in a forward area into enemy territory to go out there and make a difference for God. And we sometimes that means we got to win. We got to win the battle. We got to push back evil. And we need to recognize, guys, that people out there, even people that are opposed to us and don't like us for what, how our stances or our morality or our faith or whatever that kind of stuff, they are not our enemy. There's an enemy behind the enemy. They may feel like your enemy. Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There's an enemy behind all that. And Jesus' whole mission here is, is our mission, is even with our enemies, is not to wipe them out, but to win them over. So write it down that way. Let's win them over, not wipe them out. It's what Jesus comes and does for us before we ever said, oh gosh, God, we're sorry, we messed up. While we were rebels and his enemies, it tells us in the scriptures, while we we're enemies, he came and gave up everything. Jesus, don't miss this. You think you have to sacrifice and do ridiculous things sometimes. The creator God of the universe becomes a human being and dies for the rebellion that put him on that cross. That is ridiculous kind of love. We sing a song here called Reckless Love. We should put the word ridiculous in, only the syllables wouldn't work. So um, we're going to keep it reckless. And, And the reason Paul does this, the reason Paul does this is he has ridiculous love, and then he has ridiculous methods. Write that one down, ridiculous methods. Turn one more book to the right in your Bibles. To 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul here writes, Even though, I'm sorry, chapter 9 verse 19. Even though I am a free man with no master, which means nobody's the boss of me. I've become a slave to, and I would expect him to say to Christ, because Christ is my king, my master, all that analogy. I've become a slave to, what's those next words there? Everybody, all people, like what? And not just good people, and not just people who are saying, yeah, let's, I, I want to hear more, Paul, even enemies, to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, seen right here in the book of Acts, I live like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Like go to the temple, get your head shaved, do the whole sacrificial system. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. What he's saying here is this. It's not like, oh, you have freedom to just do whatever you want and just be dirty, nasty, filthy Christians because you want to reach people for Christ. He's not saying that. He says the law of Christ actually is a much higher standard than the law of Moses. Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7 sometime, to hear how Jesus says, hey, my, my standards are way higher than what you guys have in your written scriptures of that day. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. 
Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. Some of your Bibles will say it this way. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I'm not going to save the whole world like this. I get that. I might save some. This today would be called in the business world, in the nonprofit world, uh, your core values, your culture, your strategy. You can whatever word around you want. It's this ridiculous method. And here's what it, his ridiculous method is. Honor Christ and do whatever it takes to reach people. You honor Jesus and you do whatever it takes to reach people. Look right at me for a second. I know you're writing stuff down, but look at me and write too. Do whatever it takes, even when it's uncomfortable and ridiculous what those fools on that side are asking you to do. Jesus himself does this. It says that he regularly, he went to be with the Jewish priests and would sit with Nicodemus and Pharisees and talk to them about the gospel. He went to just middle-class folks out around the, the, the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And then it says he went to the home of Matthew several times. It says he would go to parties where there was full of tax collectors and sinners. You know what sinners are? The women who worked the red light district. They just wanted to have a nice word for it in there, in the Bible. These are the people that are just, and, and here's what happens. Because when you do that, when you start doing whatever it takes, people are going to think, well, by you hanging out with those people, you're endorsing their views and you're endorsing their lifestyle. Jesus says, oh, no, I'm not. But I get it. It gets you in trouble. When you have a whatever it takes attitude, it will get you in trouble from time to time. They crucified him for it. And 1 Corinthians, it's, it's funny too, because these verses have oftentimes been used, if you've been a Christian for a while, people have, have said this thing. They think, all things to all people to save some, which means as, a, as Christians, we have freedom to do what we want any old time because we're just, you know, we can smoke and drink and we can go to R-rated movie, we can do all that kind of stuff. And I'm telling you right now, you might be able to smoke and drink and go to whatever you might do to help reach people for Christ. But that's not what Paul's saying here. He's not talking about ridiculous freedom. He's talking about ridiculous submission. And ridiculous submission is to even people that are lunatics and fools. People that are ridiculous in what their standards might be. And so, um, you'll see the next section of your note sheet. <laughs> it says, uh, what, put on your steel-toed boots? If you have sandals or flip-flops on right now, kick them off and put your boots on. Because we're about to just go bam, bam. And again, be, be, be kind. I'm going to be as kind as I can. But I felt like if I just stop here and say, let's do whatever it takes, and we don't really get into the real world that we live in here in the 21st century, we're not going to get how scandalous this is, what Jesus did and what Paul does and telling us to submit to even ridiculous stuff. Because look at me, I will submit to things that I go, well, okay, sure, I'll do that. But there's, come on, there's got to be some lines out there. And we're about to cross some of those and just step right on your toes. In the name of Jesus. I grew up uh, going, uh, grew up in, in, in faith and spirituality and church and was told good Christians don't drink and you shouldn't drink and all kinds of reasons for that, warning us against that. Uh, have since learned, like, hey, I probably went a little too far with the good Christians don't ever drink. Now, I, I don't understand wine at all. Wine, to me, is grape juice that's gone bad. I've had wine to drink. 
People took out one time a $500 bottle of wine and said, so Steve, you'll love this. Like, You're wasting your money on me, dude. That's just bad cough medicine. I don't like beer. I don't like it. Now, I do like, from time to time, the drinks that have umbrellas in them that are all like green and pink and red and orange. Those are fun. Those are good. In moderation, don't write me nasty notes about that. Um, but I'm telling you, around my neighborhood, there's a dude out working in his yard or in his garage and invites me in to have a beer with him. You know what I'm going to do? Suck it up and sip. This is not about, oh, I have freedom to drink. This is awesome. I don't like any of this. It's like, I'll submit to that. This is nasty stuff. I hate this. I'll submit to that. Now, it also might mean, for those of us who live in wine country, who are, I've seen your social media posts, start drinking at 9.30 in the morning. A few of you might need to restrict your freedom to drink because you're, that's going to be traumatizing for people that are my good friends, my neighbors, people in my small group, people who've been traumatized and harmed by alcohol. The thing you're going to do is like, I think this is dumb that they want me to not drink, but okay. Whatever it takes to reach them for Christ. So it means I got to restrict my freedom once in a while where I don't get to enjoy that. Okay, I'll do that. Um, a lady in her, in our team, Katie was telling me about, they have neighbors. Hopefully those neighbors aren't here today because we're talking about you if you're Katie's neighbor. Um, they, uh, before the laws passed on marijuana back a few years ago, that, you know, pot's legal and you can smoke it, grow whatever, all kind of stuff. She said they would smoke pot. You would smell it from here and there from time to time. Uh, she said, now the laws have changed. They smoke pot all the time. She said, and it's not even like the good stuff, which I'm wondering, how do you know that, Katie? That's a different discussion. <laughs> I'm making some of this stuff up. Just Katie's going to go, Steve, don't ever use my name again. Um, and these people invite over, invite their family over for dinner. And you go, well, should I go to that? No, I'm not saying go smoke a joint for Jesus. <laughs> Hashtag that one today. Put that on TikTok. Smoke a joint for Jesus. Yeah. What I am saying is this. If you have a drug problem, you should probably not go over to that house or go to the bar or go to places. But if you don't have a problem with drug dependency, you might want to go over to that house even if they're smoking the joints. Even if they're going, this is just weird. I hate this kind of stuff. Because again, I, when I'm with the vegans, I'll eat the vegetable stuff. When I'm with the people that eat real food, barbecue and real meat and real food, <laughs> I'll do that. Paul says, look, I will do whatever it takes to reach people to find common ground with them. Beer, pot, guns. Let's just step right in it. <laughs> Let's go. Guns uh, is a big country, and there's people on both sides of this issue, especially right now in America, right? Just listen to the stuff going on with all the school shootings and the Supreme Court stuff. There's people that are like pro-gun and more Second Amendment. They have it memorized. They have more of the Second Amendment memorized. They do their Bible, but that's a different discussion for a different day. There is, then the people over here go, wait, wait, we've got to do some restrictions. We've got to do something about this. That's the, oh, whatever, what are we doing here? And there's pe- wide wide variety of opinions on that, which means as a Christian, you have the freedom to go to the shooting range and a freedom, like, even if you're not into you, like I've gone to the shooting range with guys, like I've never shot a gun in my life. I've, my son has a few weapons. So sure, I'll go with you. If I build a bridge to somebody, open a conversation about Christ, let's do that. Now it might mean, smile on my face for some of you out there. So just take this right now. It might mean you should maybe not wear that shirt or that banner or that bumper sticker or put your guns away around people who've been traumatized by this, who feel very strongly about this, because you're putting a barrier in the, between them and Jesus. 
And not because, again, I get you have the Second Amendment right to do all that stuff. Can I tell you right now, the law of Christ supersedes the Second Amendment to the Constitution. It means we lay aside, don't miss this, our constitutional rights and privileges for the cause of Christ when he calls us to. That's radical love, radical methodology. That'll change the world. Politics, since we're just going to go right in the middle of all the nastiness of this right here. You know, we don't take positions on stuff. We don't do Christian voter guides on what you sh- how you should vote, that kind of thing out there, because there's different opinions and all that kind of stuff out there. Republicans and Democrats have some of you of both parties in the House. Those are pretty polar opposite things right now in America. It didn't used to be quite that bad, but it is right now. And people all the time, especially in the last two years, with all the political rhetoric going on right there, many of you who are sitting here today with me, I will not point you out, but you know who you are, emailed me, texted me, or pulled me aside out in the plaza afterwards. Come on, Steve. Take a stand. Come on. Why are we doing this kind of just staying right here in the middle where it's just like Jesus says, lukewarm, you're going to be spit out of his mouth. Take a stand. Go left or go right. Take a stand. And I'm telling you right now, we are taking a stand. We are taking a side with Jesus right in the middle. Because we say all kinds of people discovering and following Jesus, all kinds means even that dude. That person who votes completely differently than, than I do. That means in the kingdom of God, there is room for loony, lunatic liberals and crazy, kooky conservatives. Room for all of us there. And since we're going to be right in the middle of it, and you probably already, some of you are writing me emails and notes, I'm going to make you mad already because I already bruised your sensitive feet. Here we go. Republicans, Democrats, pretty that polar opposite. Probably beyond that, <laughs> here we go, Make America Great Again and Black Lives Matter. Those two organizations are pretty polar opposite. You will hardly ever find somebody who's fervently devoted to this one that's over here devoted to, to that one here. And I think there's people that are, there are great people in that organization. Of course, you're asking me, so which organization are you talking about? And my answer is, yeah, both of them, great people. Now, there's some loony, lunatic lib- losers in, in all of them, in both, both of them. And some of you are wondering, well, who is that weird? I don't know any people like that. You know why? Because you probably are the one. <laughs> but again, all kinds of people means even the crazy weirdos get to come in here. Kingdom of God. Jesus, I want everybody to come in here. Which means make us stand right in the middle. We will not politicize this stuff, taking one side or the other. And sadly, churches have been weaponized in the last two years, backing a political thing, thinking that our cause is to win America back. Our job is not to win America back because America in two or three or four hundred years will be some second, third tier empire. Just study history. Babylon, Greece, Rome, England. We will be a footnote in history someday. We're not here to win America back. We're here to win Americans back to Christ. Okay. So an assignment for you this week maybe to think about. at work, in your family, people over like that, and they happen to maybe have a political discussion about something, or maybe the news is on, and it's Newsmax, or America One, or Fox over here, or MSNBC, or CNN over here, and everything in you wants to go, yeah, I gotta talk about this, or roll my eyes, or make stupid comments about it. What if you just sat there and recognize becoming all things to all men means they're not going to know what I think about this. I'm just going to sit here. 
And maybe that opens up a window to say, then we're going to talk about something here about Christ and something deeper, as opposed to just, you got to vote this way or believe this way or back that candidate or that particular position. Try that. And I know, come on, Steve, First Amendment, freedom of expression. Again, reminding you, the cause of Christ and the, and the law of Christ says, supersedes all that, which means we do what Jesus did, which means we lay down our constitutional God-given rights and privileges for the sake of the gospel. That's the ridiculous methodology. And again, I can tell you guys right now, that ridiculous methodology changed the world. Because Paul was not interested in making Rome this great world empire. It wasn't Christianity. wasn't about there trying to go, let's get, let's get Rome going back up again. Let's, let's get them restored back to their former greatness. Oh, no, that's not our job. Our job is we got a king not a president. I'm telling you right now, someday in the kingdom, it's going to flip you out right now. Someday when the kingdom of God comes, the, the, king, the king's throne will not be uh, at the bottom of the Washington Monument. The king's going to rule over the universe. And we're called to call people to Christ and win people to Christ, not just win them to our particular cause. Band's coming up. I'm done. Um, as we do this today, we're going to sing some songs here for a few minutes. Some songs to Jesus about Jesus, about this, this, this crazy, ridiculous mission he went on to save the world. So if you need prayer for anything today, our prayer team is in the back of the house today. You might need to pray about the, the nasty email you want to send me. <laughs> Go do that. I get that. You, you might want to do that. Uh, also, we have communion in the four corners of the room. It's a piece of bread and some juice symbolizing the body and the blood of Jesus. And here's why this is important for us today. In the context of this particular thing we talked about today is this. That our king doesn't just call us to exhibit ridiculous love and ridiculous strategy. He went first. His enemies who who had rebelled against him, he comes amongst us and becomes one of us taking on not a superhero thing living in disguise actual flesh and blood and that flesh and blood was broken and ripped apart on a cross 2,000 years ago talk about ridiculous methodology to save me I'm telling you guys in the world standard things I'm not worth it that's ridiculous unless you think that oh well I'm worthy of that you got a capital P pride problem none of us deserve that and he says hey look just follow me let communion today be an example, a meditation there on God did whatever it takes. What if we could do that again in the way of Jesus? To not be all outraged all the time, but just to be quiet with reckless love and rec- reckless methodology becoming all things to all people so that by all possible means we might save some. Jesus, today, we love you, we sing to you, we celebrate you. God, if you, like this first song, God, if you left heaven and you left comfort and laid aside your entitlements and privileges, so will I. So will I. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.